0: And we're going to be in John chapter 17, verses 1 through 5. Hear these words from the book that we love. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, I was trying to think of, you know, something to say If you read that scripture again or if you're looking in your Bible, several times it says glory, glorified uh, throughout it. And I was trying to think of this example of what I could use. But like think about the last place you visited or maybe think about uh, I'm a Cleveland sports fan. I'm from Ohio. okay? so you can kind of pity me a little bit. Um, But also, um, I remember when a few years ago that the Cleveland Cavaliers won a championship. Right, And I'm sure you can remember when Philly won the championship a few years ago. Now uh, it's a little bit different. But as we look or as you think about that, I remember uh, my wife is from Philadelphia originally. She's from the King of Prussia area. And I remember her, uh, hearing, sign, or hearing uh, news stories and whatever. They had to Vaseline the uh, light post out here because they didn't want people destroying it. But if you remember the, like the parade, if you went to it, uh, I didn't go to the Cleveland Parade. I live about a couple hours south, uh, but I remember watching on TV, and Cleveland's only like 500,000 people, but something like three or four million people went to this parade. and like, The city was rocking, and it's like this, you're just watching this one bus the whole time, right? Like all this glory and all this excitement that's happening, or like uh, maybe you've been to the Grand Canyon, or you've been somewhere like that's just all beautiful. And like one of the places I always think about, um, my sister studied uh, in France for a few years when she was in college, and I went to go visit her, and we went to Normandy, right? Like you hear all the stories of Normandy, all the glory that comes with it, and when you are there, there's all these graves, and you just wonder. If you ever have been there, it's just cliffs the whole way, and you just think about how did they do this? right? Like, how did these men climb this cliff as they're just getting shot at? But they did it somehow. And it's just like this awe moment you're at, right? You don't have anything to say because you can't say anything. And this is what God is getting, and I think what the Apostle John is getting here. Uh, As you know, you're starting the upper room discourse. Um, But see this upper room discourse, this part is called the high priestly prayer, right? And Jesus here, he's Praying, he's asking God the Father to glorify him. And see, he starts this prayer. It's very intimate. Um, and it's actually parallels, if you follow this prayer, uh, the Lord's Prayer that you see in Matthew 6 and Luke 11. And this Lord's Prayer, right, it starts off, Hallowed Father, right? Our Father, hallowed be thy name. Right? And hallowed is just this other term that we use to mean to glorify, right it's to holy to that's consecrated that's sacred that's revered but see glorification is just not this honor praise thing here what i think john is trying to use is splendor right this great splendor of something i'm going to read this section in revelation 4 that i think pictures this i know a few months ago you read revelation so maybe if you can picture this part right in revelation 4 john gets this vision of the throne room Says, At once I was in the spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby. A rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning rumblings and peals of thunder in front of the throne seven lamps were blazing and these are the seven spirits of God and in front of the throne there was what looked like a sea of glass clear as crystal and see I, I we don't even get a picture here a full picture here of what John is seeing because I'm sure it's so unbelievable he can't you know you can't you just can't word it correctly right And we can't word it correctly because it's something that we have never fully experienced. And see, this is the splendor. This is the glory that Jesus is praying for to return back to the throne room. All right, and I'm going to talk about this glorification of Jesus in three ways today, right? The glorification that's fulfilled in his life, death, and resurrection. Why we struggle to glorify God. How Jesus glorifies him perfectly and what it means for us that Jesus is glorified. So if you, uh, I know you're not a church that follows a confession or a catechism, but uh, being at Westminster, there's this uh, confession, catechism, it's basically a systematic theology that people wrote way long ago. Uh, And they wrote this one in the 1600s, and so I have to memorize it because of the school I'm at. and. And what they said, the first question of the Westminster Larger Catechism is they say this, man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and fully enjoy him forever. And so the goal for us, no matter if we are a Christian or aren't a Christian, is to fully glorify God with all we do. But see, the problem is uh, we're glory thieves. We steal his glory. We do things to try and steal his glory. And see, we live in a culture of self-glorification. I don't have, uh, I only have Twitter. I don't have Facebook or TikTok or whatever. Uh, Probably as someone who's 31, that's probably, in a millennial, that's probably not cool. Um, But see, my own definition of, and what we do is we just self-glorify ourselves all the time. And like we, I remember, this was a few years ago, my wife was talking about, Someone who had these like, picture-perfect pictures of her and her kids. And that's what we try to do. We have these like, snapshots of all these perfect moments all the time. But like, that's not who we are in real life. That's not all the dirty stuff that happens with us. And we try to promote our own platform, right? And so what I, what I kind of identify this self-glorification, this thing I call it, is we put our will before God's will. See, we post every thought and idea and event and action online just so that we get these likes and these comments, no matter if it's good or bad. I feel like sometimes people just post things so that they'll, I mean, there's, I'm sure there's people that you know, and even people who make money off of doing this, they'll post things online just so that people say the opposite, right? And they get in conflict with them. And I also used to be um, a high school math, middle school math teacher before I became, um, or before I went to seminary, and I'm trying to become a pastor. Because and the, all these kids, they always wanted to post things online. or they always, And the worst was all these arguments started online between kids outside of school, right? And they just wanted all these likes. And the funny thing is, one, it's driving us farther apart And two, um, there's tons of studies that show that it is driving up suicide like crazy. And see, this is the thing, too, that comes with our self-glorification. Maybe you're here today, and maybe you're thinking, you know what? I've done some good things in my life. They probably outweigh all the bad things I've done. But I would say this, too. Even the good things we do are to self-glorify ourselves at times and even if you're a Christian. And so I have these five signs that we're a glory thief. All right, and the first one is, I'm more concerned about what others think of me. See, one of the best things the enemy Satan does to distract us from serving is having us be more concerned about ourselves. We care more what others think or what others say and we spend so much time thinking about whether this person or that person thinks about us that we forget what our main goal is. And this turns us into having the glory seeking behaviors. And when we do things that will get others to give us the temporary glory high, like I said earlier, people will post things online, whether it's good or bad, just to get that self glory that they want. The second thing that we do is we fear moral failure, failure, right? We, again, we don't like to post that we've messed up, that we've screwed up, that we're dirty, that we have these terrible thoughts all the time that come through our head that probably aren't the greatest reflection. And see, when we have these failures, it distorts what people think of us, and it ruins us. And see, since we're seeking glory, what we try to do is we try to hide those moral failures. We don't bring them to the light. And we end up just being this pretend image of a human or of who we are that we've made up in our head. And we're not our real selves. All right, the third thing we do is we like to parade around our righteous deeds. And again, this is even in... Te, you know, the technology age, it's even amplified even more. And see, in Matthew 6, 5, it says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they might be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Right? And he's talking about that glory that they receive, they receive it there. They're not going to receive it later in life. And these Pharisees at this time, so those were the religious leaders, these Pharisees, they would do stuff to get attention from people, right? To make themselves look good. And we would do this too, right? Like we, it might not necessarily be like we posted online, but we might be like, in a, the most times that I've experienced this, or I have partaken in this, is we're sitting around like, you know, at seminary, you know, we'll sit around and we'll talk about stories that we have you know, experience ministering to people. Like, someone will be like, well, I minister to all these people in prison. And then someone else will be like, well, I minister to these people here. And we'll try to outdo each other. And the fourth thing, and this is the thing I struggle with the most, is we get bitter about other people or other people's walks, right? We get bitter about, well, God gave this person this gift or he gave this person this blessing and he didn't give it to me even though I really wanted it. And we become envious of people. And then we start comparing. And then we come, become bitter at them. And we don't need to. And finally, right, we want to share our glory with Jesus. Even though he deserves it all, it's like, all right, Jesus, you got a little bit. But can I have some of this? Just a little bit right now. We want the recognition and we want the appreciation that we did. See, Jesus talks about doing our works in secret that even our right hand does not know what our left hand is doing. And see, it is not a secretive way in like we don't know what we're doing, but it's a secretive way of where it's humbled and so that we're humbled enough to where God gets all the glory. And see, in the end, when we are glory-seeking, it turns out to be nothing more than this fleeting gratification we get. Right? We live in the time where we just want this instant gratification. I, can, I could probably order something on my phone right now from Amazon, and it would be home when I uh, got there. And see, this self-glorification, we try to achieve this never-fulfilling and leads us to seek and gain more glory so that we end up like on a hamster wheel. We're just running, running and running and running, and it ends up nowhere. And you know the people... And let's be honest, when we ourselves are all self-glorifying, no one likes to be around us. When we seek our own glorification, God is so holy and so glorious that no human can be in his presence. Right? If you read through uh, the Old Testament, so I just finished all my Hebrew classes at Westminster. And so I have to, like, read through the Old Testament and you just if you come and see Exodus when God is on Mount Sinai, they don't even want to go near it because they fear that God is so glorious that he would just strike them dead right there. Or there's instances where uh, if you know who Moses' brother is, Aaron, right? So he's part of the priesthood. He's in charge of the priesthood. And it was transferred down generation to generation by bloodline. So like My kids would then become, if I was a priest, my kids would become priests because that's how things worked back then. And his kids, they want all this glory and they approach the throne and God just shoots this flame out and engulfs them because that's how great his presence and glory is. But see, the great thing, even though that we seek this glory and we're separated and unable to receive it, there was someone who perfectly did. And see, in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, in this short passage, even though he doesn't specifically lay out the things, Jesus perfectly glorified the Father. See, when we read, uh, if you go close to verse 4, right, we get this picture who Jesus perfectly glorified the Father. It says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. So how did Jesus do this? See, through his birth all the way to his death, Jesus perfectly obeyed the Father. His faith, obedience, and his work glorified who the Father was and sent him to do. Every sermon he preached, all the training of his disciples, every prayer he gave, all the sick he healed, all the lame who, made, who he made walk, and everything he did was to glorify the Father see, one of the most important things was that no human before, during, or ever was able to perfectly obey God the Father or even God's laws. God had given these, the Israelites laws to obey, and none of them were able to do it. Every person is a breaker of God's law. But Jesus perfectly upheld and followed God's law. Many of us might say, well, of course Jesus did. He was able to. He lived. He was God, Right? so he was of course he was able to perfectly obediently live this yes this is true but he also left his glory and his rights behind in heaven right that's why if you remember when jesus was baptized the holy spirit came upon him right like a dove it says and he was only able to do it by walking obediently with the spirit and see this is not to say he left behind any of his deity because he did not He left behind his rights and his glory as the right king. And Jesus could have easily made himself king of the universe, but instead became a humble peasant born in a manger so that he could perfectly obey God as an average normal human being to the cross. And second, in Jesus' death, he glorified God the Father. Jesus' first petition is, Father, the hour has come. Now, if you read... Uh, Jesus' first uh, miracle that he does, right, when his mom approaches him, it's kind of this awkward phrase where he says, Woman, my hour hasn't come yet. Right? He's saying, my time time to die hasn't come. It's not a 60-minute time that it's saying. It's saying, like, this time frame that I'm supposed to die, come and die, hasn't come. And I'm sure that as you've talked about the uproom discourse, this is the night, right, this is the night before he's let up. To be crucified and it's talking about this time and jesus is specifically saying the time has come for me now to come and die in the petition jesus is praying to the father because he is beginning to feel the weight of everyone's sins on his shoulder jesus still perfectly obeyed the father to his horrible death and many people will say jesus did this because he loves sinners which is partially true which is true but i think the more and more i read this Jesus did this because he loved and wanted to glorify the Father. And the climax of God's glorification is in Jesus Christ and his cross, where all of men's sin and death were laid upon Jesus. All the glory thieving I talked about was placed upon him. Something that, that we humans see as shameful was actually the most beautiful and glorious act ever performed. As we were stealing his glory for ourselves, Jesus laid aside his glory so that we can gain true and everlasting glory. And see, his glory is also seen in his resurrection. See, Jesus' resurrection shows the fulfillment of his petition, he asked, that his Father would glorify him. Jesus asked to be glorified back to the glory that Jesus and the Father shared since eternity. If you read in that Uh, in this passage, right? It says, Father, let me return to the glory that comes. See, the resurrection demonstrates that Jesus' blood of the new covenant saves his people from their sins. And apart from the resurrection, there would be no reason for the cup of memorial at the Lord's table because there's no reason to anticipate that we need this. And then in Jesus' ascension, he was placed and sits at the right hand of the Father, if you remember that Revelation 4 passage we talked about earlier, right? That's where Jesus is sitting. All that wonder, all that, that jasper and the rainbow coming from him. He's sitting there, and there's creatures there who continuously say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And in, in, in this, when Christ has returned to his glory, Jesus is given two things. If we look back in verse 2. It says, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all all whom you have given him. Right? So Jesus is given authority over all people. Not just those who accept him, but all humans. Right? This Greek word is an all-encompassing word. It's all the humans who have lived, all the humans who are living, and all who will live are under the authority of Jesus. See, no matter if you're the greatest Christian or a staunch atheist, you're under there. And because of this authority, Jesus is able to give eternal life, something which only God had the power and ability to do. So what does this mean for us? Well, first and foremost, the only way to achieve eternal life is through faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus simply in his prayers says it this way, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. To know God the Father, we must know Jesus. I talked about earlier how we are all glory thieves, and deep down, all of us are seeking our own. But true everlasting glory can only come through Christ. Maybe you're here today, and you're not a believer, and maybe you're asking the question, isn't there another way to experience God's glory? And this is kind of the question of well, aren't all religions the same? And the simple answer is no. Because in Christianity, there's only, see, in all of the religions, it's, I have to do, uh, I was having dinner with, um, a couple nights ago, with someone who's Muslim, right? And they practice all these, this piety that they, you know, practice Ramadan and they uh, pray so many times pray so many times a day, right? And they have to do all this stuff to, get, to achieve this glory. But see, in Christianity, it's the total opposite. It's God who laid aside his glory to serve us, to die for us, so that we can partake in his glory, right? As Christ said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except for me. All right, Now I think there's three things that this glory gives us, First, it gives us intimacy. See, we experience God's glory intimately. In the beginning of Jesus' prayer, he addresses God the Father simply as Father. And we too get to experience that, which allows us to experience God's glory. We can approach the throne without fear and trembling and simply call him Father. We can live for the world you're unable to, see, when we live for the world, we're unable to intimately experience God's glory. They believed if they were to experience it, they would drop dead, right, the Israelites did, because of how sinful they were. But since we have been justified in Christ, we're able to approach God and experience this, his majesty, his beauty, and his splendor, right? If you go to Exodus 34, there's a part where Moses is going up to get the Ten Commandments again, and he, experienced, he asked God, can I see you? And he says this, whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining, and Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went to speak with him right? Because Moses so intimately experienced God's glory, he was literally showing like this bright light was coming off of him. And see, we can too. See, through reading God's word, we hear the voice pronounce the great wonders of what Christ has done for us. In prayer, we feel the very presence of him who died for us. And by meditating on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we experience the splendor and wonder of God's glory. See, the second thing I think this passage shows us when we experience God's glory is it drives us out to serve our neighbors. See, the glory on the cross is so great that it pours into us and overflows out to other people. Jesus describes it as the light of the world or the city on the hill. And the Apostle Peter puts it like this above all keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins show hospitality to one another without grumbling as each has received a gift use it to serve one another as god's stewards of god's very grace whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of god whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that supplies in order that in everything god may be glorified through jesus christ in him belong glory and dominion forever ever See, we have all received this. We have all received these gifts to serve. Think about this. When in Mark 10, Jesus says, he's, you know, there's this part where they're trying to glorify him. They're trying to put him as king. And he says, no, I did not come here to be glorified or to be a king. I came to serve and to die for people. And see, we're called not to be sidelined by these gifts, but these gifts to serve others, to bring glory to God. And see, we should remember that these gifts are given to us by God's grace. And it is by the will of God that we should use them to glorify him in all that we do. And my last point and my closing point is that we live in the already not yet part, right? And what I mean by this is, uh, if you want to exp- more on this, um, you can read this man named Gerardo Voss. He died decades ago. Um, but... We live in this part, or we live in this part of life, where we already get to experience part of God's glory. See, we get to experience salvation and redemption and adoption of God's family, and we get to receive sanctification. Right now, in this present age, God shares His glory with us, along with all these spiritual blessings. But see, we live in this world stained by sin. And since we live in this world, we do not experience the fullness of these blessings. And that's the not yet part. We do not get to experience this fully until we're in heaven. Since we get to experience it part now, we can have hope in which we will experience his glory in fullness when we are resurrected. When there will be no more pain, no more death, no more disease, no more sin, we will experience God's glory to the fullest And words cannot describe it. If you read later in Revelation, right, it says that God's glory is so great that there's no need of a sun or moon anymore. And may we meditate... (coughs) Sorry. God the Father and Jesus' glory will be so great it will be everlasting. And may we meditate this week on the hope that we have in Christ and his glory of the cross. I say this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.